Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey folks, it's Rena Jadhav here, founder of HealCircle.org, host of the Healthier Podcast. And today we have a very special guest who's going to give us some hope for cancer. Now, this is a book interview with Dr. Tony Jimenez. Hi, Dr. Tony. Welcome. Hello, Rena. I'm so excited to be here with you. So Dr. Tony is an MD, an ND. He's the founder and chief medical officer of the world-renowned Hope for Cancer Treatment Centers. Now, he's a globally recognized leader in integrative oncology he just released a brand new book called Hope for Cancer, The Seven Key Principles of Cancer Therapy. And we are going to talk about this book in great detail. Welcome again. Let's start with, why'd you write this book? Well, it's been almost 30 years, Rena, that I've been in the integrative uh, oncology field. And actually, I started the book, you know how that is, like 12 years ago. And then, <laughs> and then I picked it up again. I had to rewrite it. And, you know, doctors tend to be busy people, and so it never really materialized. And then just uh, those God incidents that I call them, I met this uh, lady who uh, was a, a brilliant writer, and, I, and we really resonated. So then um, I said, let's, let's do this project. Uh, so it's been, it took us about a year and a half to write the book. Uh, so I wanted to leave that work of so many years to present and future doctors, aspiring doctors, health practitioner, but most importantly to, to, to people, to yeah. patients, right? Because within these seven principles for cancer treatment, six of them are for prevention. And that's a big topic in itself. So Absolutely. maybe we could say to leave a legacy, right? That uh, this is the, the seminal book and I am in the process of writing one book for each of the seven key principles. So the next one that I finish actually or launch in March of 2020 is the one on the emotions and cancer, because I believe with so much clinical experience that this is the key to healing. Just for those who don't know you and know your background, could you share quick stats on the Hope for Cancer Centers? How many cancer patients have you treated so far? Um, what kind of results have you seen? And um, any other insights you can share about the center themselves? Well, we uh, opened our first treatment centers in Tijuana, Mexico, which is south of San Diego, California. And that was in the year uh, 2000. So next year, in November 2020, we'll have our 20th year celebration. And Congratulations. Great, great event. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so we started small. Now the Tijuana Clinic, it's an inpatient facility. Patients stay there typically for three weeks. They come from all over the world, although 70% of the patients are from the U.S., about 10% are from Canada, and then the remaining 20% uh, are from wherever, everywhere in the world, from Botswana to Asia and Australia and everywhere else. So uh, and then in 2015, uh, we opened the Cancun Treatment Centers. That's where I am now in beautiful Cancun. 
And so this is, a, it's been a labor of love. We also have a center in Bangkok, Thailand, and in uh, Colombia, South America. Wow. So the, yeah, so the goal here is uh, to provide hope through faith, love, generosity, uh, to those that have the power of choosing, right? Choosing something outside of the conventional world. Absolutely. So let's let's get started. Um, are you able to share how many patients you've uh, treated? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, it's been <laughs> it's been a number, a lot, uh, a big number of patients. Uh, you know, we're not a Mayo Clinic or an MD Anderson, so. Typically, we treat about, I would say, 70 patients a month, and 92% of these patients are stage four. Those are patients that have been given up on uh, from conventional therapy failures, or they were diagnosed as stage four and there were no uh, standard of care therapeutic options. Uh, so this is the challenge that we have. And through this book and podcasts like this with you, Rena, the goal is to educate, right, so that we can get patients that are in stage one, two, or three. Uh, but with, with that in mind, uh, recently we formed a research and development team, and we have four-year statistics uh, that I'll share with you. Wonderful. This, yeah, this is very important because the gold standard is five years. This mm -hmm. is a retrospective study, and we're in the four-year mark now. So, for example, in lung cancer, according to NCI SEER data, the SEER is the surveillance, epidemiology, and the end-stage result data. This is, you know, the top data in, in uh, the standard of care. Mm -hmm. uh, for lung cancer, the four-year survival is 5.4%. We have tracked 42 patients for four years, and we have a 52.3%. So That's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable with respect to colon, which mm -hmm. is one of the most common cancers along with lung and breast and prostate. Mm -hmm. With colon, we've tracked 57 patients for four years, and we have 50.8% survival compared to 16% remarkable. Um, NCI data. Breast, we were able to track 166 patients for four years, and uh, the four-year survival is 62% compared to 31.6%. And then I'll give you two more, prostate cancer. We also tracked 166 patients, mm -hmm. and we're at 72.6% compared to 35.5%. And interestingly, for pancreatic cancer, which we're seeing more of now than we did 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, for multiple reasons, but pancreatic cancer, four-year survival, with conventional medicine is 2.9%. And us tracking 35 patients for four years, we have uh, just under 43% for wow. your survival. Very impressive. So, very impressive. And when I saw this data reading now from our uh, R&D team, I said, hey guys, you have to double and triple check this because I can't tell this to the people <laughs> being sure of this, right? And they came back to me a couple of weeks later and they said, Dr. Tony, this is uh, verified. So now you can go ahead and, and uh, quote this data. Exciting, very exciting for those out there that have uh, stage four cancer, because you said 92% of your patients are kind of stage four cancer patients. Yes. So I'm assuming that the data on the patients is 92% of them were in stage four. 
I, I think it's just a remarkable hope that you are bringing to the world around. Now, we don't just want to give hope to those with end-stage cancer. What we really want to do is, is eradicate cancer. That's my moonshot. That's my mission. I had colon cancer at 35, and there's so much I have learned. But uh, I can't wait for you to share uh, the key insights from your book. So let's dive right in. Uh, Dr. Tony, can you show the book, please? Yes, I surely can. This is hope. Ta-da! There it is. There it is. Cancer. <laughs> it's a hardcover book and it's heavy. <laughs> so if you fall asleep reading it, you know, knock you awake, right? <laughs> it's uh, hope for cancer. Seven principles to remove fear. That's very important, right? Very important. When patients hear that fear word, that cancer word, or the C word, that's when fear comes in. And then seven principles to remove fear and empower your healing journey. Also very important because I cannot heal anyone but myself. Absolutely. And so we're empowered. We're, we're, we're vehicles. We're guides. We're mentors to our patients to empower them to heal. Let's dive right in. Okay, first chapter, Fundamentals of Cancer and Healing. And you, you kick it off by saying, I'm going to edit that out. Um, so let's kick start with the first chapter, Fundamentals of Cancer and Healing, and the first chapter is Healing the Whole Person. Tell us, Dr. Tony, what is the key insight uh, that you'd like to share from that particular chapter? That it is a whole person, because now we know that, uh, for example, the tumor, the tumor is the presentation of uh, dysregulated or uh, chaotic uh, condition in the body. So... We need to treat the person with the cancer, not the cancer in the person, right? And so we now also know that the cancer is an organ. We have the tumor. We have the surrounding area of that tumor called the extracellular matrix or the ground regulating system, the matrix, right? Where the acid base is, if there's acidity, where the nutrients are to, uh, to nourish the tumor. And then we also have the blood supply, and we have the lymphatic system. So this composes the organ of cancer. And so it's not about the tumor. It's about this microenvironment, tumor microenvironment. And um, Rina, I attended a four-week, uh, I'm sorry, four-day intensive course in your alma mater at Harvard recently, and it was spectacular because these top scientists and professionals who are studying the tumor microenvironment realize that it's not about treating the tumor. It's about treating this microenvironment. However, in conventional medicine, it's not that. It's the opposite. So with this uh, first chapter in my book and treating the whole person is focusing on the tumor microenvironment, the organ of cancer, and then ascending to a higher level which is the mental, emotional, and even a higher level when we go to the spiritual. And that's where those radical healing, radical cures happen, right? That can happen in two weeks, it could happen in a couple months, where it took the disease 15, 20 years to manifest as a lump, a bump, or a nodule, or a mass. So it's important to know that cancer is intelligent, it's a complex disease, and so it requires a whole body approach. Cancer rarely, Rena, is a local disease. 
the only thing local about the cancer is the tumor presentation. If it's in the breast, the lung, the colon, wherever it is, that's what's local. But the disease process is systemic. And that is such a critical point because we, in, at least in conventional medicine, we say, well, it's colon cancer. So there's a colon weakness or there's a manifestation of the colon here. And you're saying, well, really, you need to step back and look at it as a whole body systemic issue or as some would call a metabolic disease of some sort. The biggest weakness is up here, right? And I've been quoted as saying a negative thought can kill you faster than a bad germ. And this is before antibiotics were in, in the picture. With bad germs were pretty deadly, right? Because they didn't have the antibiotics back then. So a negative thought, and that's the first area that we have to detoxify. And we're talking about sudden, unexpected, emotional conflicts or trauma that occur at a time that you have no solution to. And so those are energetic, emotional uh, traumas that I believe uh, and many others do that trigger the development of, of cancer in whatever organ is, is the conflict related to. Let's dive into the second chapter, which is the about cancer and its causes, because you're saying cancer is a full body systemic disease. There's energetic weaknesses associated. There's emotional issues that might trigger it. Tell us more. Tell us, you know, what causes cancer according to you? In my book, it's, there's some beautiful illustrations on this, but to keep it, uh, you know, simple and, and uh, easier for me here, the conversation, uh, what causes cancer starts uh, with the mind, the thought process, the, the attitude, the negative thing. And then from there, you go to heavy metals. You go, never forget the dental, root canals, uh, gingivitis or periodontal disease, 70% of the population in the U.S. now have gum disease or gingivitis. And that means that there's infected gums and that's affecting our immune system every second of every day. And so the immune system is here to protect us from a cold to cancer and then everything in between. But if it's diverted and trying to control this infection in the gum, that's really close to our brain, it's very important to control, then if there are other areas that are weak and cancer cells are developing, because you know we form about 100 cancer cells a day, all of us in our immune system is getting rid of it. So if there's some immunosuppression, uh, then things start to happen and, and we can uh, have disease. And not only cancer, heart disease, arthritis, any of the autoimmune diseases as well. And so that's very important, dental health. The other thing, of course, is um, the microenvironment, not only the internal microenvironment, but as you said, the laptop, the 5G, the Wi-Fi, the radiation, social media. By the way, I just deleted all my social media two days ago. So I'm no longer on Facebook, no Instagram, no Twitter, and oh, it's just like so... I feel so free now, and I wasn't wanting much time on that, but still, you know, even 10 minutes a day, sometimes it's too much. Congratulations. That, that is a bold move that a lot of really smart people are doing, and a lot of smart people are getting their kids off social media as well, because not only is it a time sink, um, it's really a mental sink. 
Mm-hmm. That's the bigger issue. It's a it's a energy vampire. Mm-hmm. It comes in and sucks away all the good stuff and leaves you kind of parched and dry and and starving and it's just awful. But uh, so congratulations on that. So you're saying the causes of cancer. You've talked about dental, no doubt about it. The the root canals. Um, quick deviation here. So what do you recommend? I've heard both sides. I've heard uh, remove the teeth that have had root canals and get implants. And I've heard some others say no, an implant's just as bad. Get rid of the root canals and be done with it. And don't worry about cosmetic beauty. Where do you come out? Well, I'm not a dentist, but I know many of them and I've been in this field long enough. Uh, so with respect to root canal tooth, there are there is never, ever, never, ever a healthy root canal tooth. It's a dead tooth. They're always infected 100% of the time. So not only do you have a dead part in your body, you know, dentists are the only people in medicine and and, and health that keep a dead something in your body, right? We don't keep anything dead as physicians in the body, right? And so we need to extract that teeth. There's only one doctor, one dentist in the world and I've traveled the world in Taiwan that is able to save a root canal tooth. He does photodynamic therapy using laser lights and uh, ozone and other things, and he sterilizes that teeth or that tooth. And so, you know, very few people are able to do this. It's the only one I know. But in general, it's to extract that tooth, and depending on your occlusion, your bite, the size of your tongue, what the palate is, then uh, you put an implant or not. I don't think that implants are safe either. The new, thing, the new type of implants in place is a zirconium uh, or you know, ceramic zirconium, mm-hmm. uh, more biocompatible, but still it is a foreign body. They tend to react less than titanium or other implants for sure. But you know, it's, a, it's a biological dental decision because a lot of this is causing uh, sleep apnea, it's causing problems of uh, oxygenation at night when you go into that brain paralysis, your tongue drops, occludes the, the oral pharynx, the back part of your throat, and so sleep apnea is becoming more and more prevalent now because orthodontics are, you know, not careful about the mechanics of the mouth. They're just trying to make the teeth straight and look pretty, and so it's a it's, uh, it's a complicated topic, Rina, and it's very important to see a biological dentist who looks at the big picture, right? Um, and then see each individual, how is their immune system, you know, the occlusion, the bite, and, uh, but generally extract the root canal tooth and uh, perf- preferably no implants. Got it, got it. Okay, so any other causes? So we started from the top, emotions, dense what else well of course food (laughs) right and in my book I coined the word uh, or the term the garden food plan and I believe the the more we go back to the garden eating wholesome healthy food the less uh, risk we have of developing cancer and other chronic diseases so food is 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 key it's fundamental as you have heard before, in medical school, we know nothing about nutrition. We learn to not give salt to the person with high blood pressure, lower the sugar in the diabetic, 
patients and, you know, give a lot of fiber to those that are constipated. And that's mostly all of what we learned in nutrition in medical school. So most doctors and surely most oncologists, although, you know, that they're becoming uh, a little more proactive in the nutrition uh, part, but uh, they give the insure, which is processed sugars and, you know, tells you to go out and eat. Even if you look at the American Cancer Society website, they list nutrition as something to help you tolerate better the chemo and the radiation, not nutrition in itself to be an anti-cancer therapy. Because as you know, uh, foods have phytochemicals. Garden-based foods have phytochemicals like flavonoids, tannins, and others that target cancer cells and target those very bad cells called cancer stem cells that lead to the circulating tumor cells that are the ones that metastasizes. So nutrition is another key part here, Rena. And then of course, the water that we are consuming with heavy metals. And even if you live in uh, and have well water, please, please have the water tested because oftentimes the well water, we think, oh, it's safe because the city is not dumping in you know, fluoride or chlorine or whatever in the water, but it can have a high amount of cadmium, uh, uranium, and arsenic particularly, all of which are carcinogenic. So please have your water tested and uh, get water in glass containers, not in plastic. Uh, that's another big part of all this. Uh, a sedentary life. We know now that eight hours of sitting is equivalent to about smoking one pack of cigarette and the damage it does to your body. And so a body in motion is a body that can prevent disease easier and a body that can heal. And even if the viewers or listeners are, you know, bedridden and they say, well, how can I exercise? How can I move? We can do passive exercises. Your companion, your loved one can help you to passively move your extremities. Right? And of course, finding laughter and finding joy in our life because every day is a blessing. Every day is a gift from God. And I know when I wake up, the first thing I do is I say, well, thank you, Lord. Another day, here we go, right? Uh, and just to be in gratitude for that day that you have to open your eyes. And, and no matter in what condition you are in, we're so... Uh, familiar with stage four cancer patients, uh, but you can heal and make these changes. Today I told a 37-year-old uh, beautiful lady from the U.S. that's in our Cancun treatment center. She's had the gamut of conventional therapy, and now it's found in a highly metastatic uh, condition. And uh, I said, you know, no nails, what are they call the acrylic nails, you know, she comes with a lot of makeup and hair dye. We have to take these little details into consideration because a typical American female puts about 80 pounds of toxins on their body a year. And I think men are not too far away nowadays, right? It's, it's actually shocking when I found out, I think it was something like over 250 chemicals we women put on 250 plus chemicals before we leave the house in the morning. How can the body survive, much less thrive? Um, toothpaste, you know, toothpaste, just your cleaning. Shampoo, deodorant. 
deodorant, what we're cleaning our house with, right? Yes. Our laundry, right? Yes, exactly. That perfume. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the milk you drank and the cereal. And So if I could give you a few pearls in nutrition, because that's always a confusing aspect. And that's my third book, actually, Nutrition and Cancer. And that will be out at the end of uh, 2020, right? I'm always... I'm almost halfway done with that one, but uh, nutrition. Just a few simple things that you could do. No dairy, no gluten, no processed sugars, and organic. You know, getting away from the GMO and pesticides and insecticides and so forth. So if you follow those four quick tips, then you step it up a notch after that, right? But start slowly, get away from the gluten, the dairy, the processed sugars, and get organic food, and you're well on your way. When I go to Europe, for example, I could eat bread, and it doesn't bloat me, it doesn't distend me, but in the U.S., not that I do that, you know, often, but sometimes it's what you do most of the time that counts, not what you do some of the time, right? So we're allowed to do a healthy, non-healthy treat every once in a while. Right? Yeah. But, but in the U.S., you eat a piece of bread, and already you're distended, you're bloated, you're gassy, and uh, it's, it's just, we have to be careful. And that's a symptom. Th those are such simple four tips that you've given. You know, pretty much everyone out there can do this. And by the way, for those who say, no way, I need my bread. Of course, I eat bread. It's just not gluten-based. It's not wheat-based. There are so many wonderful alternatives now using rice flour, sorghum, millet, um, and the sourdough yeast piece in it. There are wonderful alternatives. So we do eat bread in my house. It's just not uh, gluten-based. Uh, we do have dairy in my house. It's just not cow milk-based. We do Kaitel yogurt. Kaitel's a fabulous brand, very clean. So I still get the yogurt, but it's not dairy-based. So um, for those of you who are listening going, uh-uh, can't do it. Yes, you can. Um, it's just a matter of committing to it and saying, you know what? I'm going to be cancer-free for life. And if this is what I need to do, then I'm going to find those alternatives and I'm going to up-regulate my life. Um, and and the other concept here is that most people think that if they make those changes that you, should, that you just suggested, Rena, it's not going to be tasty, it's going to be bland. On the contrary, this could be delicious, yummy, right, and, uh, and enjoyable. So there's so many resources out there to get good uh, recipes to make them very palatable. You know, cancer is an opportunistic disease, so why give it the opportunity for it to, to develop and grow and grow and thrive, right? So it is a choice. Cancer is chaos, and we have to bring that chaos back to balance, back to coherence and congruency. And once we have coherence and then we resonate to congruency, cancer cannot thrive. This is why you, gave, you have these radical... Uh, so-called, right? so-called radical cure. But one thing more with nutrition is rotate your nutrition. And notice I haven't called it diet because a diet is like, oh, I have to follow a diet? But it's a nutrition plan. It's, it's for life. It's not because you were diagnosed with cancer. It's because we want to live healthy. We, we are born, we're conceived to enjoy life, to, to, to have fun in this planet and to be healthy, not for... For, um, for disease, right? So rotate your nutrition every three to four months and give yourself the different micronutrients. Go more towards the, 
the more vibrant colored uh, vegetables and and fruits. So instead of eating a green apple, eat a red apple. Yes. Instead of an iceberg lettuce, a romaine lettuce, and and so forth. You get the the idea. The more vibrant uh, colored the the fruits and vegetables are, the more dense they are in nutrients. Absolutely, absolutely. Eat the rainbow, as they say. You know, eat the rainbow. Let the light come through those vegetables those plants into you because we are light and at this point our light is pretty dim and so the way you power up that light is you take it in through plants and vegetables and fruits let's get to the novel and safe methods to screen diagnose and track cancer yes please tell us what's new what's hot what's non-toxic yeah first of all mammograms you know, <laughs> mammograms we have to do out, do without. Um, there was a big study by the Swiss Medical Board, and they showed that um, in thousands of, of people tracked through 10 years, it shows that mammogram, not only did it give a high amount of false positive that led to unnecessary surgeries like lumpectomies and worse, mastectomy, removing or, removal of the breast, but it also only prevented seven cancers out of 10,000 patients that were followed. And so uh, mammograms uh, are accumulating radiation, 50 times more radiation than one chest X-ray. So let's resonate now more towards thermography. And this is a, a functional assessment where we do 118 points. We start in the mouth, so we assess uh, mucor, oral, dental health, and then we work our way down every organ. And uh, then we can see not only a physical image, like with an ultrasound or a CAT scan or MRI, but we're seeing how the tissue organs are functioning. Isn't that best? Because you could have a, a uh, let's say, a nodule or, or a cyst in the liver, but if the liver is functioning well, that's fine, and that's what we want. We want functionality. So that's important. Also to have, um, when a scan uh, sees a tumor, that's already a systemic disease. So we want to, and even when a lab, when lab work shows that there's a lot of inflammation, for example, then already there's a disease process more advanced. So none of these are really opportune diagnostic methods, uh, uh, Reno, they are detecting something when it's already uh, taken root and causes systemic dysregulation. So we want to use bioresonance uh, frequency technology. We want to uh, do 24-hour urine tests, for example, to check hormones because of so much prostate and, can- and breast cancer. We want to look at estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid hormones, cortisol, which is the fight or flight hormone. And if we do a blood test and your thyroid is uh, hormones are fine, that doesn't mean they're fine. And 70% of our females above the age of 40 have thyroid dysregulation. And a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, the electromagnetic uh, radiation that we're exposed to is due to toxicity of heavy metals, uh, just emotional, as we talked before, about doing a 24-hour urine test, uh, hormone test, will allow us to see 
have a much bigger picture of what's happening at that hormone or endocrine level. Remember the PNA, the psychoneuroendocrine immune system. So if the endocrine, which is a hormonal axis, is deviated and it's dysregulation, then the immune system is going to be suppressed, right? And the nervous system, we're going to be in quite a flight. So the body works in regulation. And the idea here is to get a good assessment. Now with genomic testing, Arena, uh, we can do a lot, you know, looking for SNPs, looking for genetic predisposition, because only two to 5% of all cancers are genetic in nature. So cancer is not caused in the great majority of cancers by, by genes. It's caused by epigenetics. What's turning that light switch on, right? Because we walk in the room, a dark room, and when we find that switch, we turn it on and there's the light. The same thing with the genes. We could have BRCA genes that are positive. For example, Angelina Jolie, and she goes ahead and has a double mastectomy, uh, a bilateral oophorectomy, removing the ovaries, and that doesn't protect her from getting cancer elsewhere. That's short-sighted, with all due respect, right? It's about uh, making those changes, making those lifestyles, seeing what your genetic uh, weaknesses are, and then strengthening them, working with uh, a good naturopathic doctor or an integrative uh, physician uh, that can guide you in functional medicine, nutrition, and so forth. Absolutely. So you've talked about these tests. Are they available in the U.S. as well, Dr. Tony? Yes, yes. And a lot of these are in the U.S. Uh, there's two labs. One is uh, or two tests for the 24-hour hormone because I think everyone should have this, you know, uh, especially if you're 35 years and older because hormones start to decline, uh, testosterone, not only in men, but also in women. And so one lab is called Meridian Valley Lab, and that's in the Seattle, Washington area. And that's run by a doctor by the name of Jonathan Wright, who's well-renowned in nutritional medicine. And then the other one is the Dutch test, that you could go to their website and have your practitioner order a Dutch test. Both of these are 24-hour hormone urine uh, tests. Fantastic. That's great to know. Um, let's talk about uh, tracking cancer. You mentioned, are there any novel methods for um, tracking? Yeah, some of the ones that I uh, mentioned, we're looking now into seeing how we can detect circulating cancer cells. These are the cells that leave the primary tumor and metastasize. And they could be circulating in the bloodstream for months or years until they uh, accumulate more cells and then we have what's called a recurrence, right, or relapse. So we're working on technology now that can uh, assess these circulating tumor cells and then give appropriate therapy. Because, for example, if someone had breast cancer, they had whatever therapy they had, natural, non-toxic, or the conventional therapy, and now there's no evidence of disease, NED. But what about if we can track and look for these circulating tumor cells? And if we find them, then with photodynamic therapy using lasers intravenously, we can, and this is using from ultraviolet light, the full spectrum to, um, infrared light in the 880 nanometer spectrum. So light therapy and sound therapy, you alluded to light a little earlier, 
arena and light therapy, this is one of our specialties. We call it photodynamic therapy or photobiomodulation. And in addition to that, we use sound therapy, which we call sonodynamic therapy. So when we use these technologies, we can get at a deep cell level where disease starts and affect uh, and track uh, cancer circulating tumor cells. Very, very promising, very exciting. And I've watched some videos that demonstrate um, sound just being used to shred tumors yes. instantly. Yes. And um, I've watched some videos about these hospitals in China where they do energy healing, where again, they're using vibration yes. to just completely eradicate tumors. And so this kind of circles back to the beginning of our conversation around the fact that you know tumor isn't just a simple growth that now has to be killed by toxic chemicals. It's something that can also be completely erased through the right vibrations and through other non-toxic mechanisms. It's just that those are not very popular because they've not been made available to the mass market. And of course, that's why we at the Healthier Podcast are here that, you know, if, for, for anyone out there who's saying, tell me, what are my options? Here you go. We'll tell you what your options are. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's get to the next section of the book, which is your seven key principles of cancer therapies. And I'm going to read out all seven just to give a sense to our viewers and listeners what's coming. So the first is the cutting edge non-toxic therapy. The second is the immunomodulation. You're going to talk about that. Next is the full spectrum nutrition, uh, then detoxification and uh, oxygenation microbiome and then finally spiritual and emotional so let's let's dive into all seven and in interest of time we'll we'll just do key important takeaways from each that someone can go back home and implement um right after listening all right so non-toxic therapies which one's your favorite and um how does it work the favorite is using sounds and is using light because with this, we can not only target cancer cells, but we can use them to have antimicrobial benefits because we know that cancers are linked to parasites, viruses, fungus, and bacteria. We know that H. pylori, for example, in stomach cancer. We know HPV, right, with cervical uterine cancer. So we know that there are microbes that are affecting the onset of cancers and other chronic diseases. So with uh, sonophotodynamic using light and sound, we can kill cancer cells, we can kill bugs and upregulate uh, the immune system. So some of these uh, seven principles kind of, you know, mingle with each other, uh, but uh, fortifying vitamin D levels. Right, it's very important. Vitamin D can be considered a non-toxic uh, uh, cancer therapy because uh, we see that, for example, the average vitamin D in blood of most of our patients are below 30, right? Which mm -hmm. is it's practically zero. Mm -hmm. A cancer patient must have a blood serum uh, vitamin D level at least 80, preferably 100 to 120. For us, for prevention, we should be between 80 and 100. For brain health, for the immune system, anti-inflammatory um, benefits. So vitamin D 
please, everyone that's watching or listening, get your vitamin D level. And do not go by the normal ranges, which is about 40 to 50, right? This is far too low, and we need to be between 80 to 100 for, for uh, prevention and 100 to 120 for uh, those of you with cancer. I'm going to share a quick thought here. People often say, well, if I'm in the sun a lot, I'm, I'm not going to need vitamin D. I'm sure I'm fine because what we're taught is 20 to 30 minutes a day in the sun, and you should be absorbing. My 15-year-old daughter um, plays golf almost seven days a week in the sun, and when she was tested, we weren't testing for vitamin D. I was just doing an annual panel because I like to know if there's any nutritional deficiencies in everyone in my family. And we were all completely shocked to find how incredibly low her vitamin D levels were almost negligible, which doesn't make any sense given how active she is out in the sun. So we're supplementing her with vitamin D now. Um, and again, there's vitamin D doesn't work without vitamin K. So again, just going and buying the cheapest vitamin D pill and thinking you're going to do great is not the answer. As I always tell folks, get smarter about what you're putting in your body. Make sure you've done your research. Don't add more junk and make sure that whatever you're taking is balanced enough that it'll be absorbed. Um, which is your favorite vitamin D? Well, I like the liposomal vitamin yeah. D, right? Liposomal, and we have one in spray that uh, one spray is 1,000 IUs. And so I take anywhere between 15,000 to 20 IUs uh, per day. Uh, it's, I've never seen a toxicity to vitamin D. Uh, when our patients come to our clinic, we give them 300,000 IUs as an injection intramuscular to start prepping that uh, vitamin D response, right? Because it's your biggest ally. It's your biggest ally. The problem with your daughter is that she has potentially a genetic SNP or a metabolism you know, pathway that she's not absorbing uh, from the sun the vitamin D, so exactly. supplementing exogenously is uh, crucial. Exactly, and I think that's why I say testing is so important because you don't find these things out unless you get tested for them. So now we're more aware and we're trying to figure out what else is off that she's not absorbing the vitamin D because it really should be absorbed. Um, what about vitamin C? You haven't mentioned that yet, or mistletoe. Yes, vitamin C is an old workhorse in oncology, right, and in health. Uh, uh, recently, a few years ago, out of the University of Salford in the UK, they showed that vitamin C kills cancer stem cells, the bad guys, the bad type of uh, uh, cancer stem cells that are resistant to radiation and chemo. At above 12.5 grams, vitamin C intravenously becomes a prooxidant. And that's what's having effect against the cancer cells, the wow. oncolytic effect, destroying cancer cells. Below 12.5 grams, vitamin C is an antioxidant. So it acts as a free radical scavenger. So we at Hope for Cancer Treatment Centers use about 25 grams of vitamin C intravenously three days a week. Some facilities use up to 100, 150 grams because we have a synergistic effect with all the therapies that we utilize, 25 grams, which is a really good uh, dose intravenously and well-tolerated uh, is sufficient. And we give this three, three times a week. Orally, we go back to the liposomal vitamin C. There's a company called Libon, L-I-V-O-N, 
them or have a liposomal vitamin C, or use ester C, which is a buffered vitamin C. So what is your dose of vitamin C? That's called a C-flush dose. So when you take vitamin C orally, increase, start, let's say, at a 500, uh, 5,000 milligrams, 5 grams a day. No diarrhea, jump it up to 6 grams a day. No diarrhea, keep on jumping it up. Oh, at 10 grams or 10,000 milligrams, I, I developed diarrhea. Now bring it down to 9 grams. No diarrhea, that's your optimal vitamin C dose for you as an individual. Some people might tolerate more, others less, but that's your C flush dose, and that's the ideal amount of vitamin C for you as an individual. Fantastic. Um, mistletoe? Mistletoe, yes. Uh, it's uh, another one of those therapies. Mistletoe basically has three uh, benefits. Remember, mistletoe grows on a tree. We get this from Germany, and it's a cancer of the tree. <laughs> and we use it to treat cancer, right? If you go to Baden-Baden, -Baden, Germany, you see all the mistletoe trees and they're just beautiful. And it's like, you wanna grab what? You wanna grab it and bring it to Mexico, right? <laughs> we have the injectable. Uh, three benefits with mistletoe is, uh, decreases the metastatic potential, uh, improves quality of life, and upregulates the immune system. The just basic three benefits of mistletoe. Uh, at the treatment centers, we give 10 days of intravenous mistletoe, and then we switch to subcutaneous. Uh, in the belly, in the arm, if someone has breast cancer, we uh, inject the mistletoe around the tumor area. Not into the tumor, but around. If there's someone with uh, liver metastasis, you can put it in that uh, upper right quadrant of the abdomen where the liver lies and injected there subcutaneously. So we like to put it close to the area of concern. Got it. All right, let's get to immunomodulation. Yes, immunomodulation. What's the key here? The key here is that as a hallmark of cancer that was developed uh, in your former neck of the woods, uh, uh, Rena, which is in Boston, uh, MIT and Boston College by uh, Dr. Robert Weinberg, a brilliant scientist, uh, now at MIT, formerly from Boston College, he and Hanahan developed what they call the 10 hallmarks of cancer. One of them is the, the, the cancer cell's ability to cloak or shield themselves from immune recognition. So you might think you have a good immune system because your white blood cells, your lymphocytes, your neutrophils are within normal range, but the cancer cell is shielding itself from being seen by the immune system. So we have some very interesting and effective and non-toxic immunotherapies uh, at Hope for Cancer, because if you look at the current immunotherapy wave, see, oncology is knowing, is, is finding out and recognizing that these uh, chemotherapies are not effective, right? We're using the same chemo, not we, but they're using the same chemotherapy uh, as 20, 25 years ago. And the prognosis of a patient with cancer has not improved significantly. And so now the wave of research and development is in immunotherapy. Those are called checkpoint inhibitors like Optivo, Keytruda, that are targeting specific receptors. 
But guess what? There's two types of cancers, the smart cancers and the stupid cancers. <laughs> the stupid cancers have one receptor or two on their cell membrane. And so we can target those very easily, even with conventional immunotherapy. And patients do very well, like with some of the leukemias, acute myelogenous leukemia. This is a stupid cancer. But 99% of the cancers are smart cancers, meaning they have multiple uh, uh, receptor sites on their cell membrane. So if you block one and block another and a third, there's many, many more. And so this is why targeted immunotherapy or targeted gene therapy is falling short of the expectation because cancer is complex. And one of the complexities is the immune system and how cancer is able to shield itself, how they have different gene uh, antigens, I'm sorry, that are out, if this is the membrane, there's antigens that are outside and there's antigens that are inside the membrane. And cancer cells hide these antigens. So one of our immunotherapies is to expose these internal membrane antigens to the immune system and upregulate natural killer cells, T cells, macrophages, dendritic cells, and the list goes on and on. But uh, immunotherapies is key. We also use blue scorpion venom that was developed in Cuba. You could go to PubMed, you could go to Google, Google Scholar and see publications on this, how some of the venoms, bee venom, uh, blue scorpion venom, and other venoms have very significant immune properties. And so uh, I just get wound up when I talk about the immune system because it's so key. And I believe at this point in history at Hope for Cancer, we have the best immunotherapies, non-toxic immunotherapies in the world. Because if you look at the conventional medicine, those uh, immunotherapies or checkpoint inhibitors have about a 46% 46 uh, 46 of the patients cannot tolerate it due to moderate to severe toxicity. Right. One of them is death. And so, uh, and then, you know, only about 15 to 25% of lung cancer patients even qualify for some of these checkpoint inhibitors. So be very careful when you're using these checkpoint inhibitors, immunotherapy, if any of the listeners or viewers are on, uh, and, and do other combinations of immunotherapy because they only extend life from three to six months and they have a high degree of toxicity. Um, it's just uh, the way it is, right? So immune system is key in controlling uh, disease and preventing the development of cancer. Absolutely. All right, full spectrum nutrition. And I know we touched upon eating the rainbow. Um, what else, what specific nutrients uh, do you recommend that someone, even for prevention, what are some of the things that absolutely should be in the diet? And of course, I'm gonna throw this in, vitamin C and again, you said liposomal. I've tried lipome. I've tried it multiple times. My body doesn't like it. Um, I think because of my autoimmune crisis that I had that I fully reversed, my body's just kind of sensitive. So I've realized that a lot of stuff that's been processed I don't like. So I just switched to amla, you know, simple organic amla powder, preserved amla. Amla is one of the best sources of vitamin C. You can also do kamu berry. I mean, there's so many different sources of vitamin C that are natural that you just, you know, scoop it out, you put, put in your smoothie, put in your food. Amla, I use almost like a, a tang, you know, I'll make soup and I'll just put a, 
put a tablespoon of amla powder in there and it's just food, but it's giving me that vitamin C. So we know vitamin C, you're going to say add vitamin D. Mushrooms are a great way um, to get some vitamin D in, in your body. What are some of the other nutrients that, that you recommend, highly recommend? Yeah, and, that, and before I answer that question, remember that we are a food body first. We're not a supplement body. The word supplement is self-explanatory, right? We're a food body first. So if we had a bag of, uh, a Ziploc bag of like 1,200 pills, tablets, capsules, and then we have an apple in this hand, you will have more nutrient, uh, nutrients from eating the apple and absorbable and biocompatible to your physiology than taking 1,200 plus pills, right? So always resonate towards the food, towards the natural wholesome food. That's the first thing. Unfortunately, now in this world, we must supplement, and that's where the big question is, right? We have to be smart. So other supplements, curcumin, yeah. study on curcumin, right? In, in your country, in former country, India, right? Our curcumin is a staple food. Um, green tea extract, green tea, EGCG, this kills cancer cells. It's, um, it kills circulating tumor cells. So green tea is excellent. Uh, resveratrol, mm -hmm. another, another important nutrient. Uh, ginger, we give ginger intravenously at our clinic. We give boswellia, frankincense, mm -hmm. intravenously at our clinic. So with these herbal or botanicals, that we should include in our daily spices and herbs and food, uh, in advanced cases, we give them intravenously. So go back to the garden, get your spices, get your herbs, mix your fruits, your vegetables, rotate your nutrition plan. And, uh, but those are some of the key uh, nutrients. Uh, of course, garlic is another one. There's just so many, but those are some of my favorites. There was a study done on bananas. <laughs> this is an interesting one. Bananas that are ripe with the dots, right? Uh, this study was published peer reviewed, and they, uh, they concluded that if you eat a banana a day, it decreases the, the incidence of colon cancer by 40%. Wow, good thing and, I love bananas. Right, so I became a, kind of like a monkey, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, hey, doesn't sugar feed cancer? See, this is something that we have to wrap our brain around because I always say processed sugar feeds cancer. God made sugars in fruits, vegetables, molasses, sugar cane, raw organic honey. It's not going to feed cancer cells because these are left spin molecules. That's called levorotatory. Normal human mammalian cells can only absorb less than molecules. That's why, uh, you know, if you've ever uh, taken an amino acid like proline, arginine, thionine, what's the letter in front of it? L? L. L. That stands for left, levorotatory, because that's what our body can assimilate, our normal human mammalian cells. We could assimilate less than molecules. Mm -hmm. But cancer cells are inverted. They like right spin molecules. And those are the processed foods. Yeah. Those are synthetic. Those are the bioengineered foods. But all sugars in nature are left spin. And this is why you'll never find an R-proline or an R-arginine because your body is not going to be able to assimilate this. So basically go back to the garden, 
do a diverse uh, nutrition plan, enjoy your food, bless your food, and eat it in peace, <laughs> eat it without, you know, electronics around, and, and enjoy that. That's sacred time, right? Because it's chew the food 20 times per bite. Put your utensils down for every bite. That'll give you a few more seconds instead of just, you know, just showing it, right? Put your utensils down. That gives you a few more seconds to chew more by the time you grab your next bite of food. So uh, there's many, many tips in the Hope for Cancer book on nutrition. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is key because, as we know, with food be that medicine and medicine be like food. Now we know that it's not only what we eat, but what we absorb, yes. what we assimilate, and what we eliminate. Yes. So let's talk detoxification. What, what is your we, – we could do a whole hour plus on detoxification. <laughs> yes. So in interest of time, you know, I'm going to say let's leave the, the normal ones, right? Like we should be sweating. Infrared sauna is great. You need to be pooping correctly. If not, make sure you take fiber, take probiotics. Um, you know, breathe, people. One of the greatest, easiest ways to detoxify is just to be breathing correctly, breathing enough. So when you walk, you breathe more, you oxygenate a little bit more. What are some of the other things that you have seen work in terms of detoxification, especially the liver? Like, are you a fan of milk thistle? I'm a fan of milk thistle. I'm a fan of Samir, uh, which is a methionine compound. Uh, but guess what's my favorite? And what? I usually uh, prepare it in a glass bottle. Aha! And that, that's the bottle of water that I drink, boss. Okay. And uh, the one that I'm going to do in the morning, it's in the refrigerator. I prepared it already. It's coffee enemas. Mm. Yes, coffee enemas. So coffee enemas were in the Bible of medicine called the Merck Manual way before any laxatives were in it. And the benefit of coffee enemas is that it detoxifies the liver, as you mentioned, and the gallbladder. And so uh, it has to be unroasted, organic, and high levels of something called palmitic acid. Because the palmitic acid will be absorbed through your hemorrhoidal vessels in the venous portal system in the lower rectal area and go and purge that liver and gallbladder. Best way to detoxify. This morning, you know, I've been working hard like most of the world is now, and I needed a, a little extra. I don't drink coffee, even though I was born in Colombia, grew up in New Jersey, and work in Mexico and everywhere now. So I'm a Colombian, Mexican-American. <laughs> a world coffee. citizen, a global citizen. Yes, and I don't like coffee, but coffee enemas is a different story, without sugar and without cream. Fantastic. Oxygenation. Yes. What do you recommend other than go for a run? Have you, are you a fan of hyperbaric oxygen chambers? I love hyperbaric oxygen. I have one at home, and all of our patients that are receiving hyperbaric oxygen uh, treatments one hour a day, every day, because we're wow. putting uh, oxygen into the deep uh, tissue. When you go to the doctor and they check your oxygen level with an oximeter, this is peripheral. You know, it has nothing to do with deep uh, cell, cellular uh, oxygenation. And that's where disease starts. That's where cancer starts at the cell level. So with hyperbaric oxygen, we're able to drive oxygen deep into tissue and into the cell because we know that cancer, for the most part, is an anaerobic hypoxic condition. And so hyperbaric oxygen, 
Uh, you mentioned a lot of them, uh, breathing, exercising, getting the microcirculation going. Maybe the vibe machines, right? Where you sit down those vibe plates and you're- That's right. Yeah, that's very easy. Uh, stretching. There was a new word that I learned uh, a couple of days ago called uh, pendiculation. Pendiculation is like, you've seen cats or dogs when they kind of stretch. Yeah. Right? right, that's called pendiculation. And so what happens when we yawn and we stretch, it feels so good because we're resetting our nervous system, ah. resetting our vegetative uh, system, and then things start to align. And when the nervous system is in alignment, the immune system, the hormonal endocrine system will work, you know, many things happen. So just simple things like that. And then at the clinic, at our treatment centers, we use ozone therapy. Okay. And, and that's another book that I'm writing currently on ozone therapy. It's a staple treatment. It's antimicrobial, it's highly oxygenating, it uh, decreases free radicals, and it's wonderful. And now we're blessed, we are all blessed that we can do ozone therapy at home, right? So uh, there's uh, machines that are easy to use, safe, and effective for us to do ozone therapy at home. What do you think of the drops, the ozone drops in water? Do those yeah, work? Yeah. Um, you know, years ago, there was a company that came out with them and there was a big push for them, but uh, we have to check it. There's some that are good and others, because uh, ozone is a very uh, in, uh, unstable molecule. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense to me that it would work. Yeah, it doesn't make so, sense. Okay. Microbiome. So beyond, of course, no dairy, but, <laughs> you know, sauerkraut, so no yogurt, but sauerkraut, and of course right. there's kefirs, there's coconut kefirs, there's kombuchas, right, there's right. so many different options for probiotics, right. versus of course the oral probiotics. Right. What, is, what do you do to help cancer patients fix their microbiome, or for those who want to do prevention, what do you recommend? Well, the first thing is to detoxify heavy metals, because mm. we're all heavy metal toxin, and when there is a this function in the microbiome, there's heavy metal toxicity. There's yeah, And what do you do to detoxify heavy metals? Because I think everyone's got some level of heavy metals in them. So uh, green leafy vegetables, chlorella, spirulina, cilantro, and uh, also, of course, some chelators, right? Um, chelators uh, uh, are good for that. Uh, infrared, near-infrared sauna. Okay. Your chelator, right? So remember, the sauna can latch onto those heavy metals and and help you eliminate them. So that's those are some of the better ones. Okay. Last spiritual and emotional healing. Wow, that's um, we we've learned so much already. But I think this this one's the big one. I think all those others fall into place once you can get the spiritual and emotional healing under control. What have you found? Yeah. Let me give you an example. A true live example of a patient we had a number of years ago, Phyllis from uh, Southern California, and she had ripe breast cancer. And uh, we're treating Phyllis one year, two years, three years, and Phyllis is good. She's a school teacher, you know, she's working full time. But guess what? That tumor's still there. And that's what was giving me gray hair at that time. <laughs> yeah, like, what's happening? Why is this tumor still there? And then I begin to learn, this is many years ago, I begin to learn the connection with the emotional health, thoughts, you know, past traumas and conflicts with 
the development of cancer in that particular location. And so she tells me, Dr. Tony, she's 62 years old now. She says, Dr. Tony, when I was 10 years of age, between 10 and 11, I was sexually abused by my father, my grandfather, and my uncle. Oh my God. For 50 years, Rena, they knew, those three people knew, she knew, and now I was the fifth person to know. And so imagine she turned white, she started sweating. She looked like she was going to pass out just because she told someone. For all those years, she hid it. And so I helped her in letting go. Part of it was bringing it to conscious awareness and speaking it to someone. And she was able to let go. I had her do some exercising, writing a letter to her deceased relatives, right? Why did you do this? Don't you know it made me feel this way? And then burning the letter. There's many techniques right, that we could use. Ho'oponopono, you know, some uh, uh, positive uh, uh, affirmation. And many other techniques that we could use to help the individual let go of these sudden acute traumatic shock experiences that they did not have a solution to at the time that they occurred. And so we did this work. And guess what? What I couldn't, what we couldn't uh, uh, achieve in three, four years, that tumor went away like that. And I kid you not. And then I'm like, wow, this, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't have believed it. And I could tell you hundreds of stories. Some of them are in this book, and for sure they will be in the next book, Emotions and Cancer. Right? And so the emotional, spiritual aspect of healing is a must. I'm still working on my stuff, right? We all should have uh, time to work on their stuff, you know, that backpack we're carrying of stuff, right? And so we have a questionnaire at Hope for Cancer that's called uh, uh, Best, the Best Program, which is the Behavioral, Emotional, and Spiritual Therapy. It's called the Best Program. So we look at the person's uh, type of uh, personality, the type of behavior, we tie that into the emotional and the spiritual, and wow, great things happen. So, uh, but one more thing, I'm sorry. The right breast, where she had the cancer, as you know, the right side is related to the male figure. Oh, right. no, I didn't know that. Yeah, no coincidence. So she had right breast cancer, she had this trauma from males. The, the left breast is related to mother-child. That's the niche, that's the nest. So everyone, because these are biological principles, these wow. are psychological. So everyone that has right breast cancer, and for, this is for right-handed uh, persons, it's associated with the male figure. Left breast, more mother, child, more female. If they're left-handed, then it switches. Okay. Yes. So letting, letting a patient uh, be aware, helping them, bring to conscious awareness, it's 75% of the solution of these traumas. Remember, very feelings never die. And so once it's the iceberg principle, what's under the water, the level of the water, it's what's hidden. And that's like 90% of our reality. Only 10% is above the water, and that's visible. And so if we could bring all this stuff, stuff, right, from under the water, and bring it to conscious awareness, 75% of the work is done. But there's a subset of people that have something called secondary gains. 
and it's good now enough for them to have cancer because now the husband is coming home after work and not going to play poker. You know, the, the son in college or the daughter in college is calling them every day, hey mom, how are you doing? I love you, you know, and so forth. So there's a game to be sick and this is called secondary gain. So as a healer, as a practitioner, because that's what the word physician means, right? Healer is to help the patients when you identify this to let go of these secondary gains because these patients will not heal no matter what you do from a physical perspective and treatment if we don't address the emotional aspect and secondary gains is a big one. I couldn't agree more. This has been so insightful, Dr. Tony. I want to thank you so much for taking time out. Uh, for those of our listeners, and these days we know Every one of us knows someone who has cancer. Uh, for those who are interested in reaching you, what's the best way? The best way is to go to our website, www.hope4cancer.com, hopeforcancer.com. We're all about education. And uh, the listeners and viewers, uh, January 4th, 2020, we're releasing uh, a reality show called Eight Days. Oh, wow. This will air on FYI Network, uh, on, on TV, Network TV, and it's going to open eyes. It's going to wake you up that you have the power to choose. There are options for you, and you'll see the, live of fi the lives of five people growing through different stages and types of cancer, and you too can heal. And so together... We're changing the face of cancer at hopeforcancer.com. That sounds like a wonderful, wonderful series to watch, especially for someone who does have cancer, because I think loneliness is another big issue. Yeah. So knowing that there's others that are healing and watching along, uh, I, I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you again so much for your time. For the rest of you, for my beloved viewers and listeners, you know what you need to do. Some simple tips. You've got seven principles to follow. Let's do what's needed so we can all live a much healthier, much more beautiful life without disease, without the hospitals, without the medicines, the way we were meant to live. And the conversation continues on healcircles.org. So come join us there. It's a free social network for health. No ads, no manipulations, no one's selling you anything. Just a pure, place for us to have a conversation. I will see you there and I'll see you hopefully on another podcast. Thank you so much for watching and stay smiling. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.